Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Four Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and the PGA Tour announced its plan to bring professional golf back in a few weeks, starting at the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, Texas, during a conference call this morning. And both USA Today and Golf Week, Steve DeMeglio and I were on that call. The episode you're about to hear is the audio track from a video we shot shortly after the call concluded, and you can see that video on GolfWeek.com. Steve and I talked about the challenges that are going to be facing the players and tournament officials as everyone tries to stay safe during the COVID pandemic as golf returns. We also talked about the challenges that lie ahead for golfers who are currently outside of the United States, as well as a whole lot more. You're definitely going to want to listen to this. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. This is David Dusek with Golf Week Magazine. I'm joined by my colleague, Steve DiMeglio. And Steve, you and I were just on a conference call with the PGA Tour where they were basically outlining how professional golf in the United States is going to come back in, during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're going to be having pro golf once again. What was your impression or what was your sort of take as we were listening to the officials explain how this is going to work? Well, it's going to be a whole new PGA Tour. But then again, we are in a whole new world. Um, for those of out there are watching, this is a 37-page memo, uh, 37 pages of guidelines on how to create the safest, healthiest bubble on out there when the PGA Tour starts moving around the country. Um, my biggest takeaway, and I think it satisfied the players' concerns, is the layer of testing that they're going to have. Um, every player is going to be sent a, a pre-travel test kit um, every player in caddy will be sent a will be uh, tested immediately upon arrival, and then there will be other testing as the week progresses. And that testing is the COVID nineteen test, uh, the nasal test. And we learned that maybe by the time Colonial starts June eleventh, that uh, there might be a saliva test. There will be thermal testing daily, and there will be questionnaire testing daily. Um, and again, they're trying to create as tight a bubble um, away from the public as they can, away from the general public as they can, whether they're in Texas, South Carolina, Connecticut, Detroit, Iowa, and so on and so forth. So um, to begin with, that was my takeaway, that they said that the PGA Tour, which has worked immense hours and days to get 
this plan together through consultation with the country's leading experts in, in COVID-19 and in health measures, um, that it's a plan that makes a lot of the players, if not all the players, comfortable for the reason. Yeah, I, I was struck by that. I mean, there's a lot of detail, and clearly they they had a process and a thought process that was basically every touch point that the players, the caddies, the tournament officials, the media members was going to go through once you entered into the tournament area. You know, for example, before a player actually even starts and gets on the grounds, they're going to, as you said, have testing that's going to be done to them. The, the players and the people on the inside of the bubble, if you will, are going to get three different types of tests, the thermal scan, the questionnaire, the COVID-19 test itself with the swabs. I thought it was really interesting that they're going to try and rely on local laboratories that are not being overly taxed right now during the pandemic to expedite the testing so that theoretically those tests are taking normal folks about 24 to 48 hours, give or take, to get the turnaround to find out what the result is going to be. It sounds like they give the impression now it's going to be a few hours rather than a few days, and that makes a big difference. But they're only going to do that in regions where those facilities are capable. I think it, the the optics of this, Steve, is, is you and I have talked about, and I think it becomes very obvious when you listen to the tour, are extremely important to the PGA Tour. They do not in any way want to be perceived, let alone do it, but even be perceived as taking resources away from local communities that need testing, that need masks, that need any kind of PPE. None of that stuff is going to go to the tour or to, to golfers if it's going to be needed in those communities for first responders and, and other folks. And um, that, that to me was, was the big takeaway is that they really think I, I was very impressed with the detail of the plan. Um, I think, as you pointed out, it's going to take a lot of adjustment for players, for caddies, for us to, to see this new environment as professional golf for, for the foreseeable future. Um, but what, what do you think is going to be, the, if, if there's going to be a problem with this or if there's going to be a group of players that are going to have issue with this, talk to me a little bit about you know who you think that's going to affect most. Who's going to be most challenged by, by the current state of things? Well, first of all, it's, it should be noted that the PGA Tour is providing all of their own tests. Yeah. So they're not taking any tests away from any local communities. Um, and they have said forthright, and I've talked to players who are on the Player Advisory Council the player board um, mm -hmm. that if they think there is any chance that it, they could be taking away from the, the locality that they're in, they're not going to do it. What? Um, I, I, I'm not sure who it affects more, but I've talked to a few players in the last 12 hours and they're all going to be under sort of unease. There's going to be some uneasiness there because first of all, these players are going to be away from their families for the first time in three months. Yeah. They know that there's that risk, however small it is, of testing positive while away from their family and then have to quarantine and not be able to get back home. For and, two we should, and we should note, Steve, that, that, that under these guidelines, families are not going to be allowed on site. Uh, agents are not going to be allowed on site. Personal trainers will be allowed on site. They're going to have the more rigorous testing. The equipment van people will be on site, but they're nowhere near the players. They're, they're going to be kept at, at arm's length. What I was really thinking of, though, if you don't mind my story jumping in, talk to me a little bit about what the foreign players, the players who are not currently in the United States, are going to have to do if they want to get involved because they have their own set of challenges too. Well, that's uh, that was a big takeaway from uh, 
from our conference call with the PGA Tour officials. Um, the foreign players, and there's about 25 on the PGA Tour, and there's a few more on the, the PGA Tour champions and the Corn Ferry Tour that are overseas, as well as the caddies, which are slightly bigger numbers. So we're talking about 100, 100, 100 people. They're subject to a 14-day quarantine once they arrive in the United States. So in addition to getting to the place, they have to quarantine wherever they land for 14 days. And then they proceed to go to where, either whether it be Colonial or South Carolina or Connecticut or Detroit. That's a pretty big burden. Um, now the PGA Tour says they're wor working with foreign governments, with federal governments, and see if that could be alleviated in any way. I can't see how it will be. Um, so I, I, the only thing that I can think of, Steve, is that if the federal government, the PGA Tour, can work on getting players physically into the country, but I don't see exactly to your point how, and I don't know that the PGA Tour would want there to be the perception that golfers are getting preferential treatment and don't have to quarantine if they're coming from other countries. If you've got someone coming from South Korea or Australia or Germany or the UK and that they're allowed to come in and bypass certain restrictions that ordinary travelers, business travelers who are also risking by going on planes, going in rental cars, going to hotels that somehow they don't have to do this stuff when other people do. I think that would be a bad look for the tour but the challenge to the individual golfer and to what you're talking about, the financial expense, caddies haven't been getting paid because no one's been playing golf in many cases. And if they've got to lay up at a hotel for 10 to 14 days, then go on some more, it's a burden. It's, it's a big burden for them. It's certainly going to be a big burden. And um, maybe they wait. You know, maybe they won't try to get to Colonial. Um or to the heritage or to the travelers. Um, they might wait until July, first of all, to get a better handle on if this restart does happen, how it's going in that first month. Um, maybe travel restrictions will be eased by then. I don't know. I just, thankfully, it's not 100 players and 115 caddies. Yep. Thankfully, the number is relatively small, 25 to 35. But again, it's an undue burden on them. Um, but for those here in the States, um, the players I've talked with, they know that they're all on agreement that they, um, they agree, they're comfortable with the plan. They know there's going to be uneasiness no matter what, mm -hmm. but they also know you can't mitigate all of the risk. You just can't. You can't give out until there's a vaccine, until there's treatments, you can't mitigate all the risk. And as one player said, there's a risk when you go to Walmart. Um, there's a risk when you go to a Publix, a grocery store, um, and nobody's taking a test before you go in there. And they commend the PGA Tour for establishing this protocol, all these protocols that can do everything they possibly can without mitigating 100% your safety. They're doing everything they can to do as much as they can to make it a safe, and as healthy a bubble as they can create. Um, because let's face it, the PGA Tour has lost untold millions. These players have made that they, they said that $100 million in prize money to this point has not been handed out. There, but, the, but then that doesn't even take into account, that's to the players. The sponsorship dollars, the tickets, 
all of the other things, the ancillary things that are revenue generating for the PGA Tour have not been taking place since basically Friday of players. Like all that stuff has been gone. Now they've got a war chest of cash and and I'm not, you know, crying too much of a river, but it's it's a business and it's entertainment. Um, one of the things that that is I've been listening to you sort of explain to this, and I think a lot of people, it's it's gonna look when you tune in on television and you you're excited as we all are, selfishly, like we want sports back. I want sports back. Um, it's gonna look so different. Number one, with no spectators. Um, no grandstands. There will be rope lines. We did learn big, and that's actually sort of makes sense for making sure that those few of us who may be on site maintain social distancing. There's going to be TV cables and things like that. So you want to have people be careful when they're walking around and stuff, but the social distancing aspect between the player and the caddy, even is something that they really reinforce. Everybody needs to social distance. You're not going to see player and caddy walking down the fairway, shoulder next to shoulder, and those kind of things that the deep, the level of detail that's going to go into this. And I think the opportunity for the PGA tour to show that sports can come back in this environment, that we can show you how sport can come back um, is, is a huge number one, a huge opportunity and potentially a huge risk. And if it goes badly, then it sets not only golf, but also sport back, I think a long way. So I think that they're being really smart in if they're making a mistake, they're making a mistake on being overly sensitive and overly cautious, which I think that they should do anyway. Um, what do you think the TV viewers experience when somebody tunes in Saturday of Colonial and they're excited to see golf? We know this tournament. We know what PGA Tour golf in our mind looks like. How different is this going to look? to the average fan who's been denied a chance to sort of see live golf, live sports. Now they tune in to see it. How different do you think it's going to look? Well, it, it's going to definitely look different. Like you said, there's the only thing there's going to be rope lines, but no grandstands, um, no fans. Um, and certainly there are going to be some players that are going to be cavalier with the recommendations and they might not, adhere to the six feet social distancing 100%. And I'm sure that there's going to be fans picking up a phone and trying to call in somehow, some way to alert that to people. But um, we've had a couple of times, you know, I was at the last time that I can recall the Zozo championship where they didn't allow fans for one round because of uh, rainstorms. Um, and it was barren. Um and empty grandstands, um, and there were no fans, and that was in Japan. Uh, that was turn. That was Tiger's record tying 82nd win. But they played one round without fans, and I was there in at Congressional back. I think it was 2012, early 2012, 13, 14, where uh, there was a monster storm that ripped through, and there were no fans on Saturday. And I remember the funny thing was that Tiger made an eagle. Now, granted, even though there were no fans, somehow, some way, there were still about 30 people following Tiger. Don't ask me how, yep. but that's what was the case. But he made an eagle and nobody clapped. You know, nobody clapped. Yeah. Um, there was a player on the eighth hole. There was a par three up the hill. The eighth hole, I'm pretty sure it was. And the player knocked it to a foot. He didn't know until a caddy in the group ahead of them was going, hey, it's a Saying it's a foot, it's a foot, it's a foot, and that's the way. So, well, I, I forget. If, I, I forget if you were there or not, but one year 
I, you know, I forget if it was the Northern Trust or, or whatever it was. It was it was the first event of the PGA Tour playoffs, and it was being playing. I believe at Essex County, we had an earthquake on like the Thursday or the Friday of the tournament, and I remember being in the media center and, and seeing the the wind, the the lights shaking, and I thought like a train was going by nearby. And then there was a hurricane that was coming up the coast, and Dustin Johnson ended up winning the tournament. It was delayed, I think. It was shortened to 54 holes, no spectators on that Saturday, and like everybody boogied out of there by like three o'clock. And I remember going around and being out there early, and it, and watching golf without spectators, professional golf, is a is a very weird thing. It's one of those things where you, it lacks the energy. It lacks like when you when you're watching NASCAR and you hear those engines. There's automatically a burst of adrenaline that's going to kick into everybody's mind. That that sort of is it goes that same. Other contact sports where people get razzed up and you've got multiple teammates, you know, those things. If there's nobody in the stands at a football game, I could get that. Golf is a quiet game by nature. But th at the same time, these guys, Rory McElroy, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, they feed off the energy of the moment. And a lot of that moment is created by the fans, the atmosphere that's created. How much does does sort of the the joy of coming back to competition for these guys outweigh the potential lack of energy that the fans and the environment would automatically give them what what's going to be happening in their minds not outside the ropes when they like like us have to think about everything but once they get inside the ropes how different an experience will it be playing for these guys well they're, they're just going to have to generate their own excitement um and there's worse things in the world that they're going to have to do. Yeah. Um, and also, there's there's not going to be any fans to stop any wayward shots. Um, so we could see so, people going way offline at this point. Yeah, and we could. And, and there will still be spotters. There's another thing. Some of the volunteers, there will be spotters in certain places on the golf course mm -hmm. um, to help find wayward shots. Um, yeah, do you fist pump? I don't know. Um it's, it's almost like so my, my son was watching my son was watching WWE, you know, with with no fans. And it's basically like it, you realize that as as great as he gets into that kind of stuff, it's ridiculous without the fans. Like that that gets is made by the energy of the fans and the whole thing. And seeing guys jump around and yell out to a crowd of no one is silly. But at the same time, I think that seeing professional golf, we're so thirsty for sport at least here in the United States, you know, and it's a very selfish thing. We don't need sports, um, but it's something that has become part of all of us that I, I personally think that it is, as I said before, an enormous opportunity for golf to show that we can do this, that it can be done in this environment right now. It's also a tremendous opportunity for golf to gain a huge following because there aren't going to be too many other shows in town. The NBA is not going, at least for now. MLB, it sounds like we're hearing what around July 4th and empty stadiums and, and all that. So for a month or so, you could have professional golf be basically the, the world of professional sport. Um, I applaud the, the PGA Tour for, for putting this together. I applaud also the players for getting involved. You had said sort of testing was was one of the things that you're most concerned about. Are you other? Do you have other concerns about how the tournaments are going to go off or or do you think having listened to players, talking to players, and not being presented with this by the PGA Tour, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good with this. I think this is going to go off, and I can see how they can be successful given what we know now. Well, we're going to have to see what happens. If, if we do restart June 11th at Colonial in the Charles Schwab Challenge, um, we're, we're just going to have to see how it goes. 
I mean, what we can't do, as these players have said, we can't wait for a treatment. We can't wait for a vaccine because that could be a year to 18 months to two years away. We have to restart. And again, sorry, if you have to restart without fans, if you have to restart without that adrenaline that you get from your fans, if you have to start restart and your caddy can't get within six feet of you um, and you have to pull your club out of the bag and put it back in the bag and so on and so forth. And the camaraderie is going to be cut down a lot too. You know, with social distancing on the practice range, social distancing on the practice putting green, um, that camaraderie that you see on a daily basis on the PGA tour where everybody's joking around, that's going to be cut down too. But it's just going to be a new normal, but it beats staying at home right now. And the PGA Tour can be a stage for to provide entertainment for a, a nation starved for sport. Mm-hmm. Um, they followed all the safety measures. And um, like I said, we can't wait for a vaccine. We can't wait for treatment because uh, it could be two years from now. Um and a lot of the players have said, look, if they run into undue risk, if they say, hey, this ain't working out, I'm running the chance of I'm going to catch this, they're going to boogie back home. Yeah. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Steven Ruiz and Chris Corman. I know people are like just assuming that this is an upgrade at the quarterback position, but I don't think we could say that for a fact. I'd say it's, it's a downgrade. He never really had game-to-game impact just coming off the edge and destroying people that we thought when we saw his athleticism in college and at the combine. And- the Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Listen and subscribe to The Counter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. One of the things that I think it's worth noting, Steve, is that as the tours, I've talked to some folks as well at, at the tour about this, is they're putting these tournaments together and they're, and they're developing them and preparing for them on the assumption that they're going to run. One of the things that they said on the call, and I've been told this, and I'm sure you've, you've heard as well, is that they, they will pull the plug if they feel that the atmosphere is not right, if the local community, the state that they're in, is not in a condition where holding and running the tour, the, a tour event is safe, plausible, not putting undue burden on the local communities, on the state, for for the testing and all the different things, that they'll pull the plug. So, so I think that right now we feel pretty good about it. We shouldn't be surprised. and in some ways, you would almost feel good if conditions changed and the tour said, you know what, we got to pump the brakes here. That unfortunately, as much as we'd love to do this at Colonial, it's not going to happen. Hilton Head for the RBC Heritage is a different situation. And given what we know now, we can do that. And that will be the start. Um, because turning a tournament on is a lot harder than turning one off. Meaning that it, all this preparation that's getting done now getting the the tournament organized in a very new way takes a lot more energy and a lot more logistical power than pumping the brakes and saying, you know what, we got to turn this thing off. I think that they will wait as late as they can to officially cancel 
some of these things or postpone them even further if a postponement is, is even possible, which probably not given the schedule the way that it is. But something I think people need to, to ready themselves for is that we could be two weeks out from Colonial and then get the word, it's not happening. And, and, and because these different things have not been met, the safety's not there, the testing, they need the, these labs to do tests for the community, not for us, the, the, whatever it's going to be. Um, I've been told on numerous times by people like, look, it's a lot easier to turn it off than at the last second to, hey, everybody, come to Colonial Country Club, come to, to, to TPC River Highlands, come to, you know, Harbortown Golf Links. We'll see you there in three days. It doesn't work that way. It's There's so much more to it. Um, Schedule-wise, player-wise, let me ask you this, since this is a golf chat that you and I are having, and I think that there's probably some bylaw that says that we have to sort of talk about this. When will you expect to see, and what do you, I don't expect to see Tiger at Colonial, for example. Given the fact that the PGA Championship as it stands now is August in San Francisco, fingers crossed for the Bay Area that that tournament can happen, and what we know with U.S. Open, Ryder Cup, back-to-back, what do you think Tiger Woods and some of the star players are thinking about in terms of scheduling? When would you expect to see Tiger, and what do you expect this to do as far as scheduling for some of the elite players? Well, one of the elite players is Brooks, and uh, Brooks Kepka. And he said in a talk show, yes, oh, he told Golf Channel yesterday that he's planning on playing the first three. Um, we have no word from Tiger, um, but the little I know of him, and uh, I would say I'd be surprised if he showed up at Charles Schwab. I think he to sit back and see how this goes. Um, if I were to have to guess, I think he might give it a month, maybe even five weeks, six weeks. Might not play until Memorial, mm-hmm. uh, and that's in July. And then from there, go to the PGA Championship. But I think Tiger, who's obviously the biggest star, he's going to sit back and wait. I think he's going to wait and see how this goes. Um, and see if they can pull this off. Um, anybody test positive, it's very minimal, very low numbers. Um, and then maybe he'll play Heritage. Maybe he'll play Travelers. But um, right now, I don't know if he has a target date. I, I think he just wants to wait and see. Obviously, we know he's going to play against Phil Mickelson when he's along with Peyton Brady, Bradley, I mean Peyton Manning against Tom Brady and – Bill Mickelson, uh, two Sundays from now. Um, and we'll see. Um, obviously, I would hope somebody would ask him, what is your intention? Hopefully, maybe they set up a call with us and what is his intention. But uh, I'd be surprised if he played any of the early tournaments. Um, but then again, he has shocked this before. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I think that every player has to – huddle up with their family, huddle up with their team and say, what's in the best interest of all of us, you know, from a health and safety standpoint first. I think that any player that goes out to any of these events and if their mind is back home and they're constantly worrying about family, which is 100% reasonable and and fine in my book, then they just don't go. You know, I just, just because the tournament is on doesn't mean that I feel that they need or, or should feel compelled that they have to compete. Um, I know some of the local tournaments, me being up here in Connecticut, um, on social media, I'm seeing the Travelers Championship is putting things out on Instagram and on Twitter and stuff like that about some of the big name players that that have committed to playing just to try and create some buzz 
about the tournament, even though there will be no spectators. There, there's not going to be that stuff, and you're not going to see Rory McIlroy down in New Haven eating pizza. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see how the elite players try and put together a schedule, how much they want to get out. I think that, as you had already said, they've got to be chomping at the bit to want to compete. Um, Jordan Spieth played in that one tournament, small as it was, in Texas. Um, and I saw Victor Hovland was out there and seems to have had a pretty positive experience and wants to play in some other stuff. And there's some guys out in Scottsdale right now playing, you know, in, in some local stuff. I think everybody's chomping at the bit, but they're going to have to sit down and take a look and say like, okay, it's one thing for me to hop in my car, go 20 minutes away and play at a club where I know that environment. I'm going to be sleeping in my own bed, you know, everything. It's, it's, it seems more manageable getting on planes. I think the players for the most part, probably feel pretty safe getting on a plane. They're, they're frequent travelers. Not nearly as many of them fly private is what a lot of people think. Um, but the guys who can will. And I, I've talked to a couple of players and they're like, yeah, I, I will feel safe doing this. But not everybody will and not everybody should. Um, I'll be fascinated to see how it all breaks out when we're going to see players like Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler and those guys, when we're going to see Rory playing. Um and how tournaments try and promote it, how the tour tries and promotes it, because that's a big part of the package. And right now it's all going to be driven towards network TV ratings. There's no, no, no reason to promote anything if you can't buy a ticket, you know? So um, any last thoughts before we sort of sign off here, Steve, for, from what you've seen and what, what you're feeling? No, I'm just hoping um, that there is no big spike in Texas or across the country and that we can the PGA Tour can restart on June 11th, and hopefully everything goes well. It'll be a new normal, and slowly but gradually, we'll get back to some type of normalcy, and uh, we'll have live golf to watch again. Yeah, me too. I think that pretty much sums it up. I'm I'm eager for them to safely get started. I want to see sports. Um, I want us to do the right thing so that in the long run, we can all enjoy it the way that we used to enjoy it, which was great, but we've got to be smart right now. And uh, hopefully everybody out there who's going to watch this and listen to this will be smart. Stay safe. Steve, thanks a lot, pal. You got it. See you down the road, hopefully. You got it. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.